Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Simon Dan podcast, the place where science and conspiracy collide. We're on episode 17. Uh, really glad to be back, actually. Really looking looking forward to this one. Uh, unfortunately, though, another bit of bad news. Cats can't make it today. He's had a real, real late uh, notice for work, which is absolutely fair enough. We'll, we'll let him off for that one. But he will be back. Uh, oh, I don't know if he's back next week, actually. It might be the week after, but he will be back. Don't worry. So this... This week we're doing a slightly different thing. We've got a couple of guests lined up, but they're not our normal type of guests. So basically, back in the day, I used to uh, I used to be part of a podcast called Dad Hub. So what we did is we sat around and we we chatted about uh, about being a dad and things like that, and 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 living at home. And uh, we had a couple of guests on. We got a guy who was an author of a, of a book, and we got the voice of Daddy Pig, Richard Ridings. That was good fun. Uh, and a couple of those guests now, a couple of those people from that podcast are now with me. So first off, the man, the main man himself who hosted that show, it's Spanners. How you doing, buddy? You all right? Hey, man. I don't go by Spanners anymore. I now go by Richard Cinzano Bianco <laughs> Reddy. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> oh, dear. Right. We'll, we'll get into that in a minute about that joke. <laughs> but um, yeah, good one. Uh, and the next person to join us is Matt. How are you doing as well? Uh, can I call you Matt Trumpets? I feel bad because it's normally Spanners who calls you Matt Trumpets, isn't it? You're absolutely welcome to call me Matt. Okay, Trump. let me and try. I'm delighted me... to be on such a prime show. Thank you, thank you. Let me try it. It's Matt T. Rumpets. Is that good? No, no. It's more like T. Rumpets. Oh, okay, hey, okay. Before you get on with the show, I'm going to interrupt and embarrass you, Dan. Go for it. Because when we were doing that Dad Hub podcast, you were very clearly a talented dude. You would sit there yeah, almost you. like a sniper. You'd mm. bide your time and then you'd come in with just the most hilarious stuff. It would absolutely crack me up. And you're just such a nice bloke. So when your YouTube blew up, when your flat yes. earth stuff blew up, so yeah, yeah. often you see real idiots on YouTube. You go, why are they? Why have they got a following? And I was so pleased when your stuff kicked off because you're exactly the kind of person you want those good things to happen to. So I'm, I'm delighted that kicked off. And the last thing to embarrass you with is I tuned into the Fraser Crane. Fraser Crane? Fraser Kane. <laughs> Fraser Kane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, episode. And you are just a fantastic presenter and host. And I'm just so pleased with the way your career is going. Oh, thank you, mate. That's really kind. Do I have to say something nice about you now? That's, I mean, that's tradition. Please don't. <laughs> kind of it's going to make his condition worse. No, honestly, that's very kind of you. Coming from you, that's very kind of you to say thank you very much because uh, th this guy here is a, is a pro uh, radio host and everything. So uh, that's very nice of you. So today we're talking about Red Dwarf. So anyone who doesn't know, uh, Red Dwarf is like an old cult sci-fi program from, from the UK. Um, and it's got, a real, it's got a real cult following. And we're going to talk about the science in it, basically. So what we're going to do is we're going to discuss some of the, uh, the the sciences involved in a few of the episodes. We're going to talk about how plausible those sciences could be, uh, whilst obviously rem reminiscing about the show as well. Um, and Spanners is a real, like he's watched all the shows like I have, but he also reads the books, don't you, mate? I'm a, I am a dwarfer. So, yes, I discovered the TV series first. And yes. it's great that, like, we've made our American friend. We forced him to watch Red Dwarf. Um, but then I discovered the books a little bit later, probably early 2000s. And I just loved those because they went into far more detail, actually around a lot of the science around Red Dwarf as well. Cool. We've got a lot more backstory with the characters too. So, yes, uh, the books, I think... Uh, are some of the best some of the best books I've ever read but the series from say uh, I don't know season one to maybe season seven 
I yeah. love so much, and then the rest I pretend don't exist. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not keen on Seven. Uh, I, I think it's the way they changed the film in the show. It seemed to be a bit too realistic, the sets and stuff, and I liked it where it was lo- where it looked dodgy and rubbish. Uh, well, if you want to get into that, if it's okay to talk a little bit uh, about the show, the, I think the reason I, I didn't like it was the whole premise of the show is he, he loses his crew. He's like the sole surviving human member of the crew. Yep. They're three million years, uh, light years away from Earth. He's been in stasis for all this time. And the whole point of the of the TV show was this hopelessness, yeah. the despair of Dave Lister and his aloneness and how he dealt with all of that. Then I, I think it was taken over by an American company and they wanted more of a, a US sitcom feel. Sure. So yeah. they reanimated the whole crew. They did, didn't they? And then, yeah. and then suddenly there was hope and purpose. And for me, the, the spirit of the show went away. Yeah, I, I agree with that, actually, uh, very much so. Um, so, uh, Matt, you obviously you weren't bang into it like we were when it first came out, but you've you've done a bit of prep for this this show, haven't you? You've watched a few of the episodes, um, but but you're here to kind of give us a because you're quite a knowledgeable guy. Try and figure out what's going on with the science. So, um, what did you think of the, the the shows that we that I kind of highlighted? Well, I thought they were interesting. I'll tell you what I thought was most interesting is how absolutely spot on they were with the virtual reality goggles. Ah, yes. We're going to talk about that. We'll talk about that. Let's not spoil anything. We'll talk about that later on. Um, but so essentially, for those of you that haven't seen it, it, it like, like Spanner said, it's, it's a guy that's lost in space three million years into the future. Um, so the only pe- the main character of the show, this guy, Dave Lister, who's the last human being alive, um, a hologram called Rimmer, who is like his bunk mate that got brought back to life through hologram technology to keep him company uh a a feline based human who's evolved from the cat ship and also Crichton, who's like a like a cyborg which they found on one of a ship on one of the one of the series so they're the four main characters and we're going to start with with something from the uh the sixth series uh and the science involved is hard light holograms now this is a, this is an episode where this they go they go and find this guy, don't they? Called Legion, and he updates this Rimmer's hologram uh, light B to be hard light hologram. Um, what do you remember of that episode? So to put it into context, maybe for for some people, Rimmer is is brought back as a a hologram with a floating light B that floats around in the middle of inside the room, him. Yeah. For everybody else, projects an image of the human that used to be on Arnold J. Rimmer. Rimmer. Yeah. And that technology itself, if you start with that, because in the show it was dismissed as, oh, this primitive technology, and he's pulling out like ribbons and ribbons yeah. of cable to get rid of it, uh, and then he replaces it with this hard light. But even the, the hologram technology is interesting to talk about in its own right. Sure. Because, you know, they've brought back you know, rappers and singers and stuff to do these hologram on stage uh, things. But Rimmer in this series, even in the, the soft light, he is still this animated, working, walking, talking representation of a deceased person. Um, and that technology itself is is fascinating because there's not only the, the light element and the hologram element, there's also the full AI. Yeah. So they completely bill it as he is in every way like the deceased person. Person's personality. With all the yeah. characteristic traits and all the memories and everything. It, it made me laugh when they reanimate, because in that episode they reanimate him, don't they? Or was, it might be in the episode before because uh, they they've been lost they've been tracing red dwarf haven't they and the, there was about about 200 years that lister was under 
stasis. And when they reloaded his personality back on, it was like, I can't remember, it was like 99% cowardice or something. And then it was, it was like uh, charisma and it was just his little finger, wasn't it? There was the charisma of his personality. Um, in, in terms of the hologram though, the hard light hologram, I mean, I've got my my views on it, opinions on it. What, what do you make of it, Matt, the, the hard light hologram technology? Well, I mean, it is a classic trope in a lot of ways oh, in yeah. video games and, and in TV. Um, there's very little reality to it. Yep. A tiny bit, though. And this is one of the things that interested me when I, I looked briefly into the sort of the some of the areas that I'm not as up on is, is, is it the, there is like a germ of science hanging out inside of that idea. Mainly, we know from experiments that if you slow a photon down enough, it can begin to gain mass and, yes. and actually compare and even triple on its way out. So, so the idea that you could begin to do something like that is there, but I just, any reality of it, I just, I have a hard time. Wait, wait, how do we I have slow? to turn off the little, yeah. little switch in my head in order to just say, yes, this is a thing. Obviously, the term hollow has come from Star Trek, Matt, but you just said something there about slowing the light down. Obviously, yes. photons have zero mass. Zero mass, And that's yeah. what lets them travel at the speed of light. And we can slow them down through a medium, but we're not actually slowing the light down. So light might appear to travel slower through water, but that's only because it's working its way through all the molecules. Can we actually physically slow down a photon? I didn't know that was a thing. I would actually have to go read the details of the experiment, but what they discovered was that as as the particle slowed, it gained mass. That's what I remember from reading about it. It's an extremely small amount, though, isn't it? It's not. Yeah. It's nothing that is that we can that we can, especially in terms of what the the technology in the show is showing, that it can project hard light. It, that sort of a system, I think, would be pretty much impossible. Yeah. So, do you think the writers got? got pulled down the line of calling it a hologram and hollow and soft light and hard light because of Star Trek and Star Trek the next generation made the hollow deck the holodeck yeah uh, so kind of ubiquitous with this kind of um virtual reality almost but in Star Trek it's not they're not just projecting light with a hologram so it's a bit of a mis misnomer they're actually manipulating matter aren't yeah. they and they're so if you see a hollow character in the holodeck, it's not just a trick of the light. It's a physical thing that you can push push against. And if you turn off the the safety parameters, you, you can get, get shot. struck yeah. down with Batholith. And so Red Dwarf's kind of, obviously it's not a serious sci-fi. It's a, what is it, a 1990s uh, comedy sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, but they've gone down that path. If you replaced the hard light technology and just said, no, what this actually is, is some kind of molecule replicator that's creating matter in the way that we want to temporarily around a light be, that would have been instantly more believable. Or they could have said, right, we've gone from a pure light projection to something more like the Star Trek technology. Yeah, and that said, when you talk about a pure light projection, that to me is a technology, I'd be like, well, yeah, sure. You, you take a drone, put a projector in the middle of it, and project what you want and you can walk around it and see it in three dimensions and they have i think they already have technology like that that's stationary but to make it uh physically able to interact with what's around it 
I think that's a bit that, that I certainly don't think is very realistic, at least, you know, who knows, 3 million years from now, who knows what's going on. But, uh, you know, as far as what we know right now, no, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. The soft light technology, the soft light hologram, I completely can see that possibly happening. You could easily, I think you could easily project that, you know, two or 300 years once we've had the technology to get the light be floating around or whatever. I think that's possible. But the hard light mm. for me is completely not possible. Um, but I want to link it to a, an episode that happened before this where Rimmer was still soft light called Hollow Ship. And in this episode, he was kind of trying to be recruited, wasn't he, into this this yeah. this ship that was completely made of holog holograph uh, hologrammatic people, and the ship was hologrammatic itself. And he was able to touch those people, wasn't he, yeah. in that episode? Yes. I so, like that we are just busting the balls of writers yeah. making big sci-fi leaps in the nineties. But yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. That's a horrible inconsistency. Yeah, I can see them right now going. How much do you think they really paid me per episode anyway? <laughs> Yeah, and it was always the situational comedy, and it was always the character yes. of the, the the people and what they were going through that was more important. But the science they brought up was just imaginative. It was unleashed, uh, and they were just able to kind of come up with these these crazy ideas. And uh, it, what was interesting for me rewatching these, thinking about doing it on the show, was well, how much of these technologies held up? How yeah. much these ideas held up by like modern standards of storytelling? Uh, right, next up, it's White Holes. White Holes. So this is episode, Series 4, Episode 4. Uh, and this is the... Uh, basically, they try and make Holly... So Holly's the ship's computer, and they try and give her a really high IQ, don't they? Um, and her... There's something goes wrong, and she gets a great IQ, but her lifespan is dramatically reduced. Yeah. And then they encounter something which, which they figure out as a white hole, which is spewing time uh, back out into the universe, and everything gets all muddled up and mixed up, doesn't it? So here, this is one of Red Dwarf's favorite things to lean on. Like they really play with the theories of time yeah. and they just go for it. I mean, there's a backwards episode where it makes no sense at all, but they just experience everything with the VHS tape being wound backwards. Uh, and so they have some really interesting concepts here, which I'm sure we could break apart. Matt, you saw this episode, didn't you? Yes, indeed yeah. I did. And I was... I was a bit surprised to learn that there's actually some theory to support the idea of a white hole. A white hole? <laughs> ah, that, I appear we've uh, entered yeah. the middle of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, right, everyone's um, going to have to go and watch this now. Yeah, they're going to have to. Though. I'm sure uh, we'll put in the notes all the different episodes. But um, So white holes are an interesting one. Uh, now, I got a, I, we had a, a guest on the second uh, episode of the podcast called Dr. Becky. Uh, who's an astrophysicist at Oxford University. Right, uh, I'm sorry, I, I opened my mouth now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I asked her uh, for a quote uh, about white holes uh, and the possibility of them existing, and this is what she said. She said, I hate to rain on the sci-fi parade, but white holes are completely hypothetical objects. They make sense in terms of the maths of Einstein's theory of gravity, but if they existed, they'd be putting out huge amounts of energy and light into the universe. They would be some of the brightest objects in the entire universe and they'd be impossible to miss. So I think if they existed, we'd know about it. Having said that, we once thought the atom could not be split, so never say never. I absolutely love that. Although, when they first talked about it on the show, what I thought of was not that a white hole could be an actual, even theoretical thing, but I thought about um, reading about quantum entangled black holes instead. Okay. 
which apparently that is apparent is a thing that is being investigated. Um, the fact that you can have a split entangled quantum particles and one of them go through the black hole and the other one not. And then you were talking about spewing that mass and matter and time out one side and coming in the other. So that was my first thought. But then, as you said, it, it is a theoretical, a mathematical construct um, as part of Einstein's theories. I, I think what Dr. Becky there is is focused on a little bit too much is the the light element of it because with in the show it's more about the time isn't it it's about it's spewing yeah. time rather than light and energy uh which which i believe isn't against the laws of physics so with the time concept in the show i think they play with the fact that as the, as they get closer to the event horizon yeah time is getting like stretched out and becomes like slower and slower until it eventually comes to a stop so the idea is that you're sucking time in one end and then you're spewing it out the other but, but i think we need to go back to the 90s and, and what people were thinking about black holes then now i'm sure clever scientists were all over it but as far as we were concerned as like science fans a black hole was a bit of a mystery it could yeah. have been a, a wormhole it could have been you know a, a magical mystical thing Whereas now we sort of think of it as just a lot of mass being compressed down to an infinitesimally small thing with a huge gravity well. So yeah. we think of it as it's just a really big object with loads of mass. So at that time, though, we kind of felt like, oh, a black hole was a portal to something else. Where does all the stuff that goes in the black hole, where does it go? Whereas now we're kind of like, well, no, it just stays there. It's yeah. just crushed down. So that's what they were playing with. Spaghetti fight. Um, yeah, I mean you're you're right, uh, but I do think that since the '90s, what we know about black holes is is miles and miles and miles more than 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 what than we know now. I mean, it's it's ridiculous how much we know now compared to then. Um, so I think for white holes, I think that's possibly possibly a maybe. I think we can give that one a maybe, can't can't we? As as a possible existence, I'm going to fly in the face of the astrophysicist from Oxford there. Well, I don't even know if I give it a, a realistic chance of existing. But what I, outside of math, which is its own particular universe, but the effects they were describing, sort of the asynchronous time effects, I think you could almost generate those just tidally as you got close enough to a black hole, quite frankly, where literally being on different sides of the same room, you would be experiencing time happening in different flows and at different rates which would lead to what we saw on screen. Yeah, absolutely. And and that is, there is a cert, there's certainly strong evidence to suggest, I mean, Einstein's special theory of relativity talks all about the time dilation with, with huge amounts of gravity. It's very well documented. Uh, it's good on the films like Interstellar. It's really well done on that. Um, yeah. So there's no, there's nothing to say that it can't happen the other way around. But it was... A little clumsy in the corridor where it's just like right if you're on that side of the corridor oh yeah time is, time is going slower for you but instead of us having like real problems communicating you just sound a bit slowed down yeah and then on the side you sound speeded up and, and things we've watched things like interstellar now with that wonderful scenario of someone going down to the planet yeah and that being a very very long amount of time for the people down although no, it was very small for the people on the big wave planet wasn't it yes and it was a very long time for the people outside of that so then to come back and watch that same kind of time dilation but just either side of a corridor where they they step to one side and their picture gets stretched out a bit and they go 
Hello, can you hear me? It was very, it was very charming. You're right, though. They play with time quite a lot. There's another episode where they they find the old, the special stuff to develop the photos, don't they? I don't know if you remember that one. I think it's called Time Slides. And yes, with the photos. They, they can they can step into the photos, and Lister wants to change his his history, doesn't he? Yeah. So a lot of that is based around causality. Yeah, like Back to the Future okay, stuff. So, so that, yeah, that's like yeah. Back to the Future tropes. Whereas yeah. this one is much more like the effects of time. Sure. And it all getting jumbled up and stuff like that. And I like I like the the random spewing pockets of time. Yeah. That like change the order of the conversation. It, it was it was lovely. That was classic, wasn't it? That little scene where they're, they're they're talking about that what it is, and the conversation gets mixed and matched all over the place. There's loads of stuff in that episode, though, Dan. I don't know if you're, you're sticking with just time now, but if we're doing what I think we're doing, which is like picking apart some of the some of the physics in yep. that episode, we've got to talk about the the playing pool with, with planets. planets. Oh my to word! Plug up the white hole. Yeah. So the concept is the only way to stop this white hole from spewing forth its time is to play four dimensional. Pool, so like yeah. snooker with the with planets. planets. Yeah, uh, the computer comes up with a plan. Holly comes up with a plan to create a solar flare to push one of the the planets into another planet, and then, <laughs> and then put it into the white hole to stop it. Blocks it. Um, yeah. Dave Lister is like, no, it, it, the computer's got it all wrong. She's put too much top on the the first planet, and he's like, I'll, I'll take the shot. I'll take the shot because I'm good at pool in a pub was absolutely fantastic and and this is the truest thing in order to make the shot properly he downs four pints of lager which as we all know is the optimum amount of lager to have to play pool absolutely yeah uh but i mean you're right though like i mean what speeds would those planets need to be going at for that to work in in the time frame that in the show it was like five seconds wasn't it it's completely ridiculous but still great all the same and when you think of like how our moon formed, they they're talking about a Mars-sized planet colliding with the the Earth, yeah. and, and they don't just bump off each other. No. They like they mold together and then just spew out little rings. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Or the idea that sending a thermonuclear device would cause a solar flare, or that a solar flare could push the mass of an entire planet anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's it. We've ripped I mean, them. I mean, there, there were a few weak links in that particular chain, but yeah. it was hilarious it nonetheless. Was, yeah. And of course, the talkie toaster in that episode as well. You can't miss. Amazing talkie toaster. Are, are, you, are you a Rick and Morty fan? I'm Dan? not, no. Oh, you're no. really missing out. I, with your, I keep getting fight. told. I keep getting told about it and I keep not watching it. So here's a warning. If you watch it, you won't know what's going on and you'll think this is terrible it took me three times of my friend going go on give it another chance and now it's it's the best tv okay but rick is a crazy inventor he creates a a robot an intelligent an intelligent robot with consciousness a sentient robot whose sole purpose is to get the butter when rick needs it and pass him the butter right and there's this kind of really despondent scene of this robot going okay uh i'm alive boss what do i do Rick says, oh, go get the butter. Pass me the butter. So he gets the butter, he passes it to to Rick, and then uh, the robot says, what now? What shall I do? And he says, well, that's what you do. You you pass the butter. And this little AI robot, realising the, the fruitlessness of his existence, goes, oh, my God. And, you know, is this everything? And I didn't realise that that must have been heavily influenced by the AI toaster yeah. who did it brilliantly first. Yeah. And frankly, if we're talking about that, this is a long line of despairing robots that we can go all the way back to Marvin. Yeah. 
in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Brilliant. And of course, later on, Bender in Futurama. I yes. mean, yeah. Yeah, love it. That's a that's a great shout. Um, a little little tidbit. Did you guys, I, I, know, I don't know if um, Matt will know because I don't know if you saw that episode, but the original episode of Crichton, the guy that voiced him wasn't Robert Llewellyn. Well, the guy that played him wasn't Robert Llewellyn. That guy ended up being the talkie toaster voice. No. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, yes, so they brought him back for that, yeah. Um, okay, so White Holes were saying maybe, Hard Light, hard light Holograms were saying no, no. Um, next up is the evolution of the felines, the feline sapiens. So series one, episode one, uh, it, Lister gets put in stasis because he, he, he did he messed something up, didn't he? He, he got something wrong and he got put in stasis and he took the cat it with was him. His, it was his cat. He brought a cake, pregnant cat on board. Yes, yeah. He didn't just bring the pregnant cat on board in what I think is one of the most prescient things they wrote. He sent a photo of him and the cat to be developed in the photo lab. Yes. And this just makes me think of certain people on social media sending photos of themselves committing crimes on Facebook and oh, then yeah. being amazed they're caught by the local police. <laughs> well, in the books, well, in the books, man. <laughs> There you, you go. Oh, okay. Fine. There he goes. Card, Mr. <laughs> in the, and this is so rare for me because I'm not like that. Yeah. I'm not the guy that well in the books. But in the books, you get a lot more of the uh, the pre-explosion stuff. Okay. And and his hopelessness at his situation because the mission is to go to Titan. Yes. Which is a moon of Saturn. Jupiter. Saturn. Yeah. One of those. Anyway, so it's a really long mission. It takes up like, months and months and months. And he's like, well, how can I get out of this? So it's a very deliberate attempt. Yeah to put himself in stasis so that, that he doesn't have to spend another six months on this ship. Yeah. Uh, and, and as you say, the, the pregnant cat is in with him. Um, and obviously when he wakes up in three million years, there's a there's one cat, feline sapien, that has evolved from this cat or from the from the, the offspring of this cat to be like a, like a homo sapien type character with the traits of a cat. First thing that obviously springs to mind is the... Uh, the immense amount of uh, I can't think of the word right now it's on the tip of my tongue uh, history? no not history no oh. uh, incest incest the immense the immense amount of incest that would have had to have occurred for the How lineage is that different from other origin yeah, stories yeah I know so. I say that all the time all the time but yeah so that that's the first thing that I have a slight issue with uh is that a slight issue? <laughs> Matt, are you up to speed with the fact that the cat character was evolved from from Lister's pregnant cat, evolved through six million years? And I, I love the way that it evolved so closely to human beings that it was indistinguishable from a human being, yes. except like an extra sense of, of style. But then again, divergent evolution, yeah. that, you know, that the, the concept that things will inevitably you know, re replicate if there's advantageous things. I guess maybe the concept was for the cats going into a humanoid form uh, was the most advantageous thing. Yeah, I think I think the the eye. Talk about the eye. I think that's that's evolved. I believe it's eighteen times separately in nature. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's eighteen. It might be eight or eighteen. But Matt was making a good point about the smell as well. Like he he has yeah. an incredible sense of smell. So good he can smell what's going on outside the spaceship. <laughs> Apparently he can smell electromagnetic radiation as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, that, but that, I mean, obviously that's just for the, it, it advances a lot of the story, that sort of stuff, doesn't it? Like, what can you smell outside and is he detecting anything? 
But in terms of the evolution of the, the feline species, I, I can't get on board with it. I okay in the books okay. they they lay out the three million year history okay now, they don't cover to be fair they don't cover like the biological evolution of the species but they they do once it's become a humanoid race yeah. of, of cat people they they talk about the struggle of when the supplies run out and they have to develop technology to then break through to the next storage room and loads of wars break out and here's where I think you might find this interesting is they did they did touch on it a little bit, didn't they, in the TV series where some of the mythology from Lister's original yeah. normal domestic cat has somehow, <laughs> through non-oral tradition, got passed down. And there's there's a, a religious holy war that rages on, and they cover that in, in brilliant detail in the books uh, as well. And I, I, I just love the fact that while everyone's been sleeping and Holly's been going gently mad... Yeah. There's been a whole civilization and they became a spacefaring race as well. Sure. Uh, you know, in the meantime. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I need to, I need to do, I need to read the books, don't I? That's what I need to do. So I'm from an evolutionary point of view, the intelligence. Yes. Sure. Absolutely. It's a long time. Three the million years. Quadrupedal to bipedal. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, we okay. did it. I, we I, did I it. could see that. Yeah. But going from feline to Homo sapiens, and especially when you talk about the eyes, why would they have different eyes as part of that evolution? Why would they develop our eyes when they have eyes that frankly work better in a lot of better. ways already? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why they would do that. So I'm going to go with I could see a sentient species of feline evolve, I could see them opt to become bipedal. I would be surprised to see them turn out looking almost exactly like us at the end of it all. It's not impossible because, you know, it's evolution and given enough time and enough chances, anything could happen. Sure. But even, even in a 3 million year stretch, I find it highly unlikely for me personally, they would wind up looking exactly like that. That said, it's a pretty awesome character. So yeah. I don't really want to bang on it too hard. I think I'm with so you on that one, Matt. Dan, why don't we give the Red Dwarf directors and producers, why don't we give them a 2021 technology and yep. a big budget and CGI? What do you want to see from your evolved three million year intelligent cat? I don't know. I, it's difficult. I don't want to. I don't want to see all that though. I don't want to see CGI. I don't want to see. I want to see cruddy sets and <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, that, okay, but science-wise, we can recreate okay, whatever okay. science you want. What, what, what do we... I want to see? I want to see uh, like a big, muscle-bound bipedal, uh, like tiger-lion type thing that could, a little bit like Thundercats. Yes, apex predator. Thundercats. I mean, consider cats are apex predators. Dan. Yes, they wipe out more species than almost us. Quite frankly, yeah, you're right. I want to see lino. I want to see lino. That's what I want to see. Oh man, now I just want to watch Thundercats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you could have them with like super heightened uh, cat senses, like the smell. So they would probably have like ridiculously wide, massive noses, for example, spread across their face. Yeah. Yeah. I also don't see why they would develop our horrible knees when they have much more efficient limbs already that they use. Okay. So maybe a thumb. I could see them going for the thumb. That's useful. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm, I'm happy with that. So let's say evolution of feline sapien, not as we saw it, but definite possibility. 
Uh, I want to see it. Uh, Dan, Dan, what about dinosaurs if they'd not been wiped out by a comet or whatever? Non-avian yeah. dinosaurs. Yeah. I mean, that's what, 67 million 67 years? 67 million years ago, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, how far would they have got? In, in, we talked about this on Remaining Doors, didn't yeah, we? Matt? How difficult. far do you think dinosaurs would have got if they'd not been wiped out and humans had not taken over? Would we have talking, walking dinosaurs? I would have said pretty far because obviously when that happened, there were, mammals kind of exploded, didn't they, when that happened? So difficult to say difficult they would have mammals would have been, would have not had that opportunity so i don't know if they would have spoke though i don't know astronauts maybe they would have been telepathic that's what i think they absolutely would have developed communication so smart the the dinosaurs that were around our size velociraptor although they're not smaller and yeah. were omnivorous I, I could absolutely see them developing quite a long way They'd be they'd be hamstrung if you'll pardon the expression if they didn't develop thumbs. Yeah, that's just going to make manipulating objects difficult. But given enough time and and essentially given access to a food supply that allows their brain to grow and selective evolution to use that fact, yeah, no, they would develop a pretty serious intelligence. Whether they'd reach the same level of technology and go the same way we did, you know, <laughs> that's an open question. But yeah. yeah, last one from me on what features a three million year evolved cat species would have. So okay. we've got a long haired cat and when it rains, he gets soaking wet, obviously. He doesn't like it. So he comes into the house and he has this different meow for when he's wet and he meows and meows until he gets my attention. And then when he does, I stop what I'm doing. I go to him. He then walks me, leads me to the towel rail where we have our kitchen towels and I am to rub him down and I rub him down and I've experimented with this if I don't do a good enough job right he he will then meow again until I do it properly and then he's happy and then he goes back out in the rain so I think these three million year cat people would develop some sort of telepathic coercion and would have been okay. able to come out and manipulate Dave Lister to do whatever they wanted you know cats only meow to talk to humans not to each other we do know that True. yeah, yeah. Isn't that fascinating time, yeah a lot of the time it's when they think that you are behaving in a non-cat-like way because they think you're a cat and they're like hey you're not doing very cat things meow do more cat things don't talk to me about cats i've had a nightmare of mine today um so so yeah there we go so we're, we're putting that as a definite possibility but not as we saw in the show okay next up is the backwards universe we touched on it so there's an episode in series three the first episode called backwards so basically they end up uh they go through some sort of shimmery whirly thing don't they and uh they end up uh in a universe that is running backwards and I th- go on. I was going to say, I think the scientific name they, they gave it was time hole. Time hole. There you go. Uh, uh, so this one originally I thought to myself against the second law of thermodynamics, it completely goes against entropy. Uh, it could not be possibility. However, there is a bit of theory going on, especially with the multiverse theory, that, that this, and, and if you're into cosmology, the big crunch, there is a potential theory for this, maybe? I think that they were definitely playing on the big crunch because yes, at that time when we were, were talking about Big Bang, uh, it, there was the big battle in science, wasn't it, talking about expanding forever or all crunching down. I never, ever took that to mean that time itself would reverse and everything Me would go neither. back. Yeah. And I have to say, Matt, th- this episode, it took... I love the Red Dwarf universe. This episode, I, I didn't like. I, it was funny, 
but I didn't like it because the science of it just took me completely out of the universe. Well, what if I told you that although the science they based it on has been pretty thoroughly, uh, well, rubbished, that there actually is a tiny bit of experimental evidence that time could maybe flow in a not necessarily forward direction. They have done an experiment, and by they, I mean clever scientists at smart places, <laughs> where they have entangled, um, I, I want to say, uh, uh, not chlorophyll, chloroform, I think. They've entangled the quantum particles from two nuclei, and when they're not correlated, they find that thermodynamically, uh, hot goes to cold. Okay. But if they correlate those two nuclei closely enough, they would find that quantum particles will carry heat from the cold one to the hot one. And they suspect that they might be able to do the same with uh, time. Interesting. Interesting. Um, a good, good person for that would have been, we had Professor Jim Al-Khalili on and he was talking about the Ant-Man universe and, and whether or not it's possible uh, he would have been a great one for that. I might ask him about that. Um, but yeah, I can send you. I can send you what I yeah. found online yeah, later okay. on. But it was just it, just an example of how occasionally, under very special circumstances, quantum particles can go against sort of our normal thermodynamic view of the universe. It's interesting. Can I tell you my main problem with it, Dan? Go on. It's just, it's just the cause and effect. Like yeah. we're so used to cause and effect, and to turn that all all backwards. Like, why would you? why would you need to throw up food? Why would you need the food inside you to go out? There's no reason for any of that to happen. So they're eating backwards. They yeah. literally just roll the tape back. Yeah. So like when they're having a fight, uh, someone sh takes shattered objects, hits them on someone's head and they become, you know, reanimated as like a bottle or whatever. Instead of eating, people are regurgitating food onto a plate. That is a great scene. The bar fight is a great scene though, isn't it? The backwards great, bar fight. It's a great scene, but it's just, it's like his ribs get unbroken yeah. in the fight as well. But there's just no reason for any of the things that happened afterwards to, to, to happen before, you know, before. Yeah. Well, I mean, as the episode explains it, it is a literal backwards rewinding of events. Like you said, like a VHS, which no one much younger than us will even understand but nevertheless you can probably figure it out by listening yeah time flows exactly backwards so whatever happened forwards is now just happening in the opposite direction yeah all your decisions make no sense no no no, no, no you're going you're going backwards it's like you're he said backwards. where he said yeah. when they got there and the guy forced 50 pound into his wallet or something. <laughs> yeah if you were actually living backwards you would make different decisions that would affect time and, in our backwards and would the now, people would the people who are living backwards would they be experiencing it forwards or would they would it be making sense to them exactly I, I recently watched Tenet I don't know if you've seen that oh very good you'll like it well uh, Wait, you want I, me to I explain Tenet don't you <laughs> yeah, yeah do, do, do let me know what that is um, so basically, uh, it's where you can shift time from going backwards to forwards. It's like a machine, you can do it. Um, okay. And it gets very weird and very complicated. And it's like a, it's like a, it's like a Russian evil guy in it. And it goes backwards and forwards through time. It's very complicated. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll see if I can but find it then. Sounds interesting. Yeah. 
so the concept i'm not like poo-pooing the the concept of it but i think your point is the best one so far which is we never got to know how the people on the planet yeah in the backwards planet were experiencing things so like were they making decisions based on knowledge of what we thought was the future is that what they were doing or did they simply experience everything the same as we did but when our, our people landed they experienced it backwards so that, that would be an important question which definitely wasn't answered in the show yeah it, you, you're right it wasn't and the other thing is like you know where they stole the tandem bike so they stole yeah. the tandem bike didn't they and, and they were going backwards if they hadn't have landed on that planet would that tandem bike have been stolen in the first place? You see what I'm saying? It, yeah, yeah, it's it, the cause it, and effect. It's just all, it's all over the place, place isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, so are we, are we putting this to a hard no then? Yeah, it's a hard no from me. I'm a hard down. no. Okay. We're at a hard no. This no. is definitely a, wouldn't it be funny if? Yeah, absolutely. And then they just made it happen. Okay. All right. We'll leave that as a hard no. Right. Our last one, total immersive video games. You touched on this, Matt. Um, I mean, I love these episodes. There's, there's a couple that, uh, that I highlighted. The first is Series 6, Episode 3, Gummer and the Apocalypse. This is one that won all the awards where they went into Crichton's brain using the, the, the software, didn't they, to, to fight a virus. And a Series 5, Episode 6, which is the famous Back to Reality, where the whole time they were supposed to be playing this, this total immersive video game, they weren't really on Red Dwarf. They were all different people. And it, it was funny figuring out, finding out who they all were and stuff, wasn't it? So me and Matt are massive VR fans. We yeah. do a lot of yeah. sim racing in VR, and the VR technology now is is absolutely incredible. It plays such strange tricks on your mind. Yes. So we're sat in our sim racing rig. We're using a steering wheel that gives us a little bit of feedback. So if we are experiencing, you know, grip, uh, the steering wheel will fight back against us. We've all done that on screens, on computer games. In VR, it is incredible what it does to your brain. So when we go onto a, a US oval track that has that very steep banking, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know what it is like thirty degree banking. The first time I is it thirty? 30 I was going to say thirty one at Daytona, but yeah. Oh, okay. Really, you're going to pick me up for one degree, Matt? This is our life. This, and Matt is my podcasting wife. This is our relationship. Love it. Um, as soon as you go onto your thirty one point two degree uh, banking, I fully felt like. I was in a car on banking with the right side of my car up in the air and the left side lower. And I just went, why? Why do I feel, I literally feel like I'm driving a car on a bank. So my brain just adjusted to that reality. Okay. So I can completely accept that in Red Dwarf when they are in better than life, which I think has electrodes into their into brain, the brain, yeah, that your brain will accept whatever reality it's presented with. Well, it's really fascinating. Um, my first real experience with virtual reality was at arcades and I even took the family to them and they, they were just amazed. My daughter, like just, it, it was wild. Yeah. But I got invited to um, uh, a meetup at a virtual reality place that also did motion simulation and they built rigs to simulate driving cars. And where it got fascinating to me was talking to the guy who founded it, how they developed the technology, the decisions they used were all about how they use the movements they can make literally to hack your brain into thinking it's experiencing the forces that, that you can't replicate because yeah. just to quickly describe normal automotive simulators are these massive pods. They have these enormous motors, but because they're so big, they tend to lag what's happening, especially if you're going fast in a race car, let's say. 
So these guys use much smaller motors that move very, very quickly, but couldn't begin to generate the same level of force. So he said, oh yeah, if you go online, there are all these communities, this open source community about how literally you use these forces to hack your brain to believe that you're decelerating at three or four or five G. You're experiencing the lateral forces and so on and so forth. So the the technology that they're dealing with as a, a, a three million years from now, oh yeah, 100% and probably way better than anything they could even think of. Yeah. In the books, oh, they, oh, they, they really, oh, here we go, here in we go. The, books, the, the In the books, one of the books is called Better Than Life and it is okay. dedicated to this virtual so it's 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 relevant dan i'm not just okay okay they did they did this whole thing where they were completely lost in the computer game so here they had uh they were it turned out that they felt their reality was outside of red dwarf in in the books they do this whole chapter where each of the the crew is put in their most ideal scenario okay and then Crichton has to go and kind of rescue them but Crichton, in the end his ideal scenario is endless washing up yeah so when they eventually try to rescue him he's got piles of laundry the cat is on a, a an island in the clouds surrounded by valkyrie amazon warriors and, and and lakes of milk that he can bathe in and stuff like that and uh, rimmer he has he has become like a, a mogul the most successful man on earth the richest oh, yeah. man on earth and lister is stuck in it's a wonderful life and that's his perfect kind of scenario and it's, it's all about how they disentangle themselves from that reality sorry matt i finished my my books thing. <laughs> no no you talking about books reminds me of you talking about runs it didn't happen if i don't tell somebody else about it exactly oh. the one book i've read i have to tell absolutely everyone <laughs> but, but you know what it does kind of make me think of is is the movie total recall with arnold schwarzenegger it's another one where he goes into a uh total immersion place and comes out and has to deal with the consequences of that yeah and it's got matrix vibes as well hasn't it um yeah with that so uh, but i i you're right with the with the we've recently bought uh one of the vr headsets which one uh, uh the oculus the oculus 2 a quest the quest 2 yeah. yes and um i mean i love thing i love table tennis love playing table tennis it's brilliant and i'm fine when i'm in the world and i can move around that world around my room I tried an ISS one, so I was in the ISS, and in that one you have to you you can move around, but it's not you moving; it's the screen moving. It makes me immensely sick because my body isn't moving, but my mind thinks I am, and I get really bad sickness. It's, it's yeah. terrible. It's um, much better when you have the room space and you yeah, can move, and you can it. move so within the environment. Like yeah, military sims, and I'm using the fake cover. But I'm in my living room, literally like ducking down behind the cover and then moving to the side of it. Yeah, that's brilliant. And, nice. and I don't suffer that kind of sickness at all. Oh, that's lucky for you then. I get it quite badly. <laughs> but we're gonna, we're happy with that. We're happy with the total immersive oh, video yeah, games. Totally. Can completely happy. Yeah. It was really good sci-fi. Okay, cool. Yeah, love that as well. Right. Well, that that's uh, that's the, the Red Dwarf stuff done. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate your, your input. We're going to chat a little bit about conspiracies. As you know, uh, my job is to debunk conspiracies online. Um, Spanners, what about you? Any 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 uh, experiences with conspiracy theories? Well, I mean, my goodness. We are so spoilt for choice right now, we aren't are. we? we are. I mean, my goodness. It, it feels like so long ago if you think back a year and we're not talking about it anymore was that 5g towers 
were causing coronavirus. Yeah. And that has kind of disappeared a little bit because it got overtaken by Bill Gates. Uh, is controlling you with yeah. the vaccine. He's putting a chip into your body. But where did the 5G conspiracies, where did they go? Um, they were so adamant 5G was causing coronavirus and they seem to have just sort of disappeared and moved on. I think as soon as it was highlighted that France had some of the worst cases in the world at the time and they didn't have 5G, right. uh, it kind of messed it up for them a bit. I think they just move on. Yeah, they do move yeah. on. They do move on. Um, but the, uh, the the issue was a lot of the idiots here were burning 4G towers and 3G towers, messing up the reception in their local area which could have potentially really bad effects for communication emergency services yeah exactly yeah yeah so i'm not sure if i have like a favorite conspiracy theory or a problem with any particular conspiracy conspiracy theorist i think it's that same group of people all being susceptible to that kind of thing and they move from conspiracy theory to conspiracy theory and whatever theory they have there is a facebook group for it and oh, there yeah. is a Facebook group that will tell them they are right. A huge community sat there ready to validate what they're saying. And the social media groups do nothing about it. The big platforms allow it because it generates clicks. The yeah. algorithm prefers it and they are culpable. Like Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Google. Instagram. They, yeah, they are 100% culpable, complicit, responsible for the massive rise in conspiracy theories. But it's made a career for you, Dan, so you can't complain. It has, I can't, no. Uh, so to me, like the fundamental lie of all of these companies is, oh, we wrote a program and the program made the choices, therefore we bear no responsibility whatsoever. A human didn't pick that story and put it at the top of the YouTube chain. Well, but yeah. a human wrote the algorithm that did pick it. So number one, I deny that. But what when you ask about conspiracy theories obviously anti-vax is a long-standing one yeah but i had um when my daughter was in elementary school one of the parents but not even elementary school geez was it like coming out of um uh pre-kindergarten one of the parents in in a very sincere and in, i'm talking an educated financially stable high-powered job kind of parent wrote around and asked for everyone's opinion about vaccinations because they had reached a point of being uncertain about whether or not to vaccinate their own child. So I get that there are people who live for the next conspiracy theory and, and will go from flat earth to this, to that, to this, because they're trying to fill some kind of hole in their lives. Yeah. But I also think of them kind of like cons or grifts that under the right circumstances, I think anyone is susceptible. The question is what happens when you're confronted with direct evidence that contradicts those beliefs. And that's where you see the divergence, I think, of personality and education and, and training, quite frankly. Yeah, um, the, you're absolutely right. And we have a, the, the, the people that do the same thing as I do. We've got an opinion on the flat earthers in particular. We think that uh, there's only about 20% that are real and we think about 80% are in on the, the con, the grift, the, the, the making it up for, for clicks and views. That's what our friend Dr. Andrew Holding of York University uh, said to us when we presented him with the, the, this, these conspiracy theories. We were talking about you and the work you're doing against them. And he, he just said, I, I just don't believe that all of them are sincere. Yeah, not. I think they're exploiting what we were talking about. Yeah. So the algorithm promotes these kind of 
conflicts and conspiracy theories. And not only do we see it with these kind of conspiracy theories, we also see it with general media. So me and Matt, we cover Formula One. And when we look at the Formula One scene, one particular outlet does very, very well. And that is because they hone in on any kind of controversy, any kind of negativity. Okay. And actually the negativity generates more clicks. So if they go, oh, F1 is boring. Oh my God, what a terrible race. And lots of people interact. Even to disagree, the algorithm picks that up and promotes those posts. So when they look at it in their meeting, because they're a business, they're a cynical business that's looking for the raw bottom line, they go, ah, saying F1 is boring generated the most content. So as they continue doing it, they then start to convince a lot of people that, oh yeah, F1's boring, it's terrible, we definitely need to change it. And it goes on and on and it becomes a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think that might be happening with your, your flat earth as well, Dan. It, I mean, it is. Uh, like the, the flat earthers and the conspiracy theorists, they, they generate views because they comment and they put the thumbs down, which all counts. But there is a problem with the system. I did a video... Uh, about a pastor who was kicking off about masks. It was like a, it was a rant in his car about masks. He was never going to wear them, all this and that. Trump's going to win, et cetera, et cetera. And it wasn't massive, you know, in comparison, 45, 50,000 subscribers. He was quite a well-known pastor in America. And I did a video on it, debunking his all of his points about not wearing a mask. My video was pulled for having content in it that, that was going against masks, yet his video remained up. Oh, oh um, So there is a problem. There is a, mm. the system is slightly broken. Um, I don't know whether it's because I was getting more views or, or what, but. It's because the anti-maskers were reporting you for that, probably. Probably, but at the same, by the same stretch, there were, there were kind of the conspiracy debunkers and things like that, they're reporting him, his video, yet it remained up. I'm not so sure. Dan, I, I've got to ask you, uh, because last time we worked together in any kind of meaningful way, uh, you didn't have the following that you've you've got now. I did and, not. And since, since Dan Dad Hub, uh, all three of us, in fact, have, have built up little corners of the internet. Sure, your corner's massive. Our it's, corner it's is much big. more cosy. Yeah. But the amount of abuse that me and Matt get and some of our panellists get is is frankly insane. You must going directly against these kind of fringe groups like you must get an awful lot of abuse and like I'm, on a personal level i'm so curious how you how you deal with that because before our show on sunday we opened up the live stream before we went live i gave myself a little pep talk it's not personal it's not personal they don't know you be a big boy put on your big boy presenter pants it's fine and i had to properly brace how do you deal with it um you're right i do i do get a lot uh the best way I've found to deal with it is highlighting comments in its own video and laughing slash responding to them. So you hit them head on? I hit them head on I because uh, I, I make a video out of it and it generates income. And at the end of the day, they're going to hate that. Those commenters are going to hate the fact that I'm making money from their comments. Um, but I'm also, I know I'm not like you because I don't respond back as harshly. <laughs> As you may do, <laughs> Some, yeah, uh, yeah. My responses do do vary. Yeah, um, but but isn't it interesting that like most people would have advised you, like, and you probably would have said to people, "Oh, just ignore it." Absolutely. But the reality is, you you can't just ignore it. No, because it will sit there and fester and grow. Yeah, I hit I the worst ones. I I highlight, I tackle because then 
the pe- person that said it sees that it's not affected me. And that to me makes me think that they've not done what they wanted to do, which was make me feel bad. I've had a few like not not death threats, but I've had threats that people are gonna come around my house and Yep, I've had that. And and yep. and you know, smash up my window or lay me out in the street, but it never happens. Never happens. <laughs> I, I've had people tell me to kill myself. Yet. And I've had the 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 most I don't want to give people tactics, but I, I think this was absolute rubbish. But they suggest that they know where you live and therefore they're gonna come round and 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 just see well, how you're doing. Maybe we should go to the park near your house or something like that. And for a split second it does send like a chill, you know, well, up you. But uh, yeah. I you was doxxed. I was doxxed and my my house and my dress were put out publicly on YouTube in a video. Uh, they got the the image from Google Street View, although they got the wrong house. It was the one next door. They put the picture off, but they got the oh, address okay. correct. <laughs> they got the address correct and my full name correct and all of this. Um, and at, at first, I was a bit like, oh, blooming hell, that's because I was just thinking of the kids. Cause, I you know, remember the ki- you sending us that, yeah. the, the doxing photo, yeah. The kids are at home. If anyone comes around, it's, I, was worried, I wasn't worried about myself. It was the kids and the wife, really. Um, but nothing came of it nothing came of it the video was removed it took about three months for youtube to remove the video because i had to prove that it was me kind of terrible yeah it it was a bit of a nightmare but they eventually did and but nothing's come of it i've had nothing in the post nothing you know and i've since moved which is is great but um i i tend to to think that their their bark is a lot worse than their bite these these trolls well, sorry for the diversion, Dan. It's just right. uh, genuinely, me and Matt, over the last couple of years, we're Simon Dan fans now, and we've got an opportunity to sit with hey. you and ask you questions, so I'm taking it. Pretty soon, you'll be playing table tennis and recognising me on, on the Oculus. and, and nice. say, Oh, my God, I'm playing Simon Dan. <laughs> it, well, no, my kids haven't a quest too, so we, we literally can go. And oh, play there you go. You do so that. that you do that, yeah. Right, okay, it's time for Guess the Conspiracy. Is this a competition? So this is the part of the show where normally Cat's the co-presenter. We, we come up with some fake conspiracies, two fake conspiracies, and I put in with that one real conspiracy in that it's one that people actually believe. And your job as a pair tonight is going to be to try and figure out... Oh, you mean we got to be teammates? I'm afraid no, no, so. We must I'm afraid so. Uh, okay, all right, I'll give, you the, I'll give you this. Yeah. You can compete this one. I mean, it's currently 9-6 to Cat's and I, so we, we need 9-6. If one of you gets it right, you get a point for the guests. Um, oh, so, so you'll get a point for the guest, but we can play. We can play a competition between you as well. I, I'm happy to work as a team so long as you adjudicate which one of us was most useful uh, as part of that team. I'll, okay, fine. If Matt's happy with that, we'll do that. Uh, I could care less. <laughs> I still don't get that. I still. Yeah, America, you Amer- suck at that phrase. Sure, it's. I couldn't care less. I couldn't obviously couldn't care less. I could. I don't get it. I see it all the time. My comments. It's like I could care less, but like I can't work enough to actually okay. care less right, that's that not makes... the phrase though that... <laughs> anyway we're gonna get into long argument right okay so three conspiracies two of them are completely fabricated by cats and i one is a real conspiracy theory that people do believe your job to pick the one that's real okay number one donald trump did not actually lose the election it's a ploy to allow him to run the country from behind the scenes number one Ooh. Okay. Number two, some pizza shops are secret bases of the Freemasons, which have hidden logos on the pizza boxes. Okay. That's number two. And number three, camels' humps are secretly used by the elite as surrogate birthing vessels to give birth to a new subspecies of human that is faster, stronger, and cleverer. 
This is amazing. I, my first input will be on the Masons. I'm sure Matt has a, a Trump input, and then we can tackle the camel together if you want, Matt. Do you want to start with Trump? So Trump didn't lose is absolutely a thing. Deliberate. Deliberately lost. The deliberate so part of he it. He deliberately lost as a ploy to allow him to run the country from behind the scenes. That's the conspiracy theory. It's believable, but I haven't encountered it in the wild myself. Okay. I Yeah, I... I this this is um, the classic. Don't put down to incompetence. No, hang on. Don't put down to conspiracy. What incompetence will explain is yeah. that the that's the phrase, that isn't makes it? Sense. So, yeah. So it's a way to kind of go. Oh, Trump didn't lose. He wasn't incompetent. It was a, a grand plan. It seems far more likely that he he rode a wave of a brand new tactic in the first election. And it was a shock and awe tactic that completely took, firstly, the other Republican candidates by surprise. They were completely unprepared, and he ended up being the the the, the front runner and their nominee. And then when he took on the, the Dems in the main election, they weren't ready for that. They, they had not evolved a defense against the Trump. But in four years, they did evolve a bit of a defense, didn't they? Uh, and I think that's a much simpler explanation than... Trump, who is notoriously attention-seeking, wanted to take a role behind the scenes and secretly control things. I get the feeling that if he was controlling stuff, he would he would be doing it loudly and deliberately. And I and I think that's a ubiquitous kind of feeling about him. So I I'm leaning towards that's a, a fake one, Matt. Right. Well, as I said, the first half of it is definitely true. There was a large group of people who absolutely believe Trump did not lose and will still argue he did not lose. That yeah. The, election sure. was fraudulently stolen from him but that kind of invalidates the he did it on purpose bit and i haven't encountered it in the wild so i'm tempted to to give that one less of a thing okay i do feel like because you've started talking about american politics i do want to bring up the role of voter suppression in various states as also having played a very big role in both the 2016 result and honestly because of the pandemic we had more voters than we might have expected being allowed to vote because the rules were all changed to allow voting by mail and stuff like that. So to just back putting you it up out there. That. Yeah, yeah. I want to back you up on that because in the UK, as a as a as someone who doesn't fit quite in the window of Caucasian uh, British ethnically British person, I had to jump through so many hoops to register to vote. Like I literally, I like my reject my first thing. It got rejected. I had to inquire why I didn't get registered to vote. Then I had to come in for an interview. I had to sit there and like talk about my history and all that kind of stuff. So I can absolutely, even unintentionally, I can believe that there is voter suppression for certain groups simply because it's harder to get it done. Uh, but if we move on to the uh, the Masons one, pizza box, sure, yeah. pizza boxes. Are what? What was that one again, Dan? Pizza boxes are secret. Uh, sorry, pizza shops are secret bases of the Freemasons, which have hidden logos on the pizza boxes. So my dad was a, a Freemason. Okay, and he he was actually a uh, the master of his lodge. Oh mate, the the, the flat earthers are going to lose it with me at this. That I'm uh, that I'm associated with someone who's they're going to they're going to love it. <laughs> oh oh my goodness! Like so, I, I I went to a lot of like Masonic evenings and like yeah. the socials where they invite people in, and you hear all these theories about like how powerful and the secret Masonic handshake where you stick your hand under your knee and and shake hands from behind, clap your hands three times, drop a pizza on the floor, etc. 
and when you you see what the club is like it's the most like harmless middle-aged guys club ever or it certainly was at the time i don't think women were allowed in at the time my dad was a, a master mason and it is just, basically it's just a drinking club for for middle-aged dudes but i can absolutely believe that people think there is some hidden secret power to the masons okay. but if there is why was my master mason dad not allowed to like push me into the top jobs of media i feel like i've missed out okay and what about the third one the third one is that camels are birthing a subspecies of aliens. Yep. Um, yeah. I, ha, camels are shifty. They are proper shifty. Are. If you get close to a camel, what do they do? Do they listen to your inquiries? Do they answer questions about the camel species? No. They spit in your face because they are protecting their alien babies. Sub, subspecies I, I, Matt, of human. To be honest, Matt, I'm, I'm, on board. I'm on board with that. It's a toss-up between that and the Masons for me. It's the least believable of the three, which automatically makes me kind of want to go for it as being a real conspiracy that you could actually research online, which I'm not doing right now while I'm talking, by the way, at all. That's cheating. Ooh. No, oh, I would never do that. Okay, good, good. To be so, fair, Dan, he said he wasn't doing that. Yeah, so. yeah true. I yeah. completely believe him. Right, one, two, or three, what are you going for? What's the real conspiracy theory that people believe? So, Matt, I'm happy for you to be team captain, but my vote is the pizza and the Masons because people accredit Masons to a bunch of stuff. And here's the thing. I will share this. Here in the United States, uh, there was a specific rumor about a specific pizza shop that they were trafficking in stolen children okay. yeah oh is this the and pizza it gate was scandal so real that someone showed up with a gun i heard about demanding this. to be led into the basement to free the children at which point they discovered that the pizza shop had no basement yeah oh my goodness and also you have to consider that as the son of a ex you know a, a lodge master of a masonic yeah. sect or whatever i am probably in on the conspiracy so you can't trust anything i say matt that's true, but but of the three, I would guess the I would be with you on the pizza box. Right. You're going for number two. I mean, ah, the Trump thing is so close, but but I really don't see the did it. Trump would never lose on purpose. That's why I can't believe it. Ultimately, okay, right, we're going pizza. You're Dan. going the pizza. Okay, here we go. This is this is this is this is close. Ready? Hey! Oh, well done us well done guests well done guys that's correct oh, you pulled it back it's nine seven so yeah well done this is there isn't there was in fact uh, there are people that believe that pizza shops are freemason bases which have <laughs> hidden logos on pizza boxes um the, the donald trump one was cats made that one up and i i came up with the camel's humps one they're good they're both uh, really good oh yeah, yeah. we've been yeah. doing it too long now we, i mean yeah we trip but we were we were like eight four ahead and now it's nine seven so we're, we're starting to uh we're starting to get caught out a little bit so we need to think of some may just be ones. the quality of the guest I, I you're right that it could are, it. i mean fantastic professor jim al-khalili got it wrong and oh you know God, how how dwarfed when you said please come on the show and talk about red dwarf and i was looking at your guest list and it was like fraser caden oh my goodness i was like no we do not belong here but i'm glad we at least of course you do of course you do one game guys i really appreciate you coming on it's been such a good chat uh talking about red dwarf and, and the science of it and stuff like that really enjoyed it um where can we mistapex.net that's your po podcast isn't it what did the big sign that i've got behind me saying www.mistapex.net that's the one yeah uh, that's yeah, the one that is where me and matt 
talk about Formula One. We have a live stream at 8 p.m. every Sunday. If you're an F1 fan, we'd love it if you'd come and join us uh, for our race reviews at the beginning of the new season, 8 p.m. the night of the race. We chat live. You can join us in a live chat room. And the the finished episodes are ready for your Monday morning commute. They will be in your podcast player, ready to listen to on your way to work every Monday morning. That is guaranteed. We're up for a fight. We debate with each other. Uh, and believe it or not, some of our panel are actually quite well-informed as well. So yes, please check out Missed Apex F1 podcast. Thanks for letting us plug that, Dan. Perfect. Not a problem. And your, um, is it at Spanners Ready on Twitter? Oh yeah, follow me on Twitter. Yeah. Oh Spanners yeah, I'm Ready. way better than Matt. Don't even plug Matt's. At uh, Spanners Matt, Matt, Ready. What's, <laughs> what's, where, where are you at Twitter, Matt? At, at Matt, Matt PT 55 Yes. Okay. We'll put those links in the description as well. For So please do give them a follow. Uh, I'm at Simon Dan. Uh, and it genuinely is Spanners' uh, fault that I'm at Simon Dan. Tell uh, them what it was before, Dan. It, it was it was at Dan underscore the underscore Cy underscore man. <laughs> that was underscore, genuinely underscore, underscore. my Twitter my Twitter handle. <laughs> he had a go at me for shamers, it, and we are not going to back away from underscores that. in Twitter handles. They, are pathetic. Yeah, they ripped me for it, so I changed it to at Simon Dan and history has revealed that that was a good move. <laughs> Love it. Uh, right, we're all done. Next week, we've got Greg Foote, who is a BBC Science presenter, and he's also uh, does uh, live experiments with his wife on YouTube. So that should be good fun to have a chat with him. Uh, we're all done. Have a good day. See you all soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>